No matter what you're doing, I don't care if you're opening a restaurant or going into real estate, it doesn't matter. Find someone that has done that, that you can get behind morally, ethically, value, like you really like that person too, not just in business, and never sway from that. And you'll have a great experience. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Chris Prefontaine from Smart Real Estate Coach. And today we're talking about a couple of different things, the way he teaches people how to do real estate deals, three ways to get paid in a deal, how to structure seller financing in a deal, how to find off-market deals, even in today's market, and so much more. A lot of great lessons in this one, great conversation. I really appreciate Chris's energy today. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews. They think, hey, this person learned something from the show. Maybe I can learn something too. They tune in and that really just helps us so much. And I appreciate that so much, you guys. And that also gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your reviews. I get to see what you have to say. And I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. So we really, really appreciate that feedback and you helping spread the word. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, take a moment, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If I sound a little weird today, I'm going to break the fourth wall a little bit. If I sound a little weird today, some of you guys know I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, been training since 2015. Love it. Blue belt. Have a great time. Well, last night I got kind of kicked in the mouth and I bit my tongue really bad. So I might be talking a little weird today. Be better in no time, but I hope you will bear with me and my kind of uh, weird, <laughs> weird speech today in this episode. But we uh, we make it through no problem. Once again, our guest today is Chris Prefontaine. A lot of great lessons in this one. He has a very cool, very helpful offer for you guys out there at the end of the show. So stay tuned, pick up some knowledge, and without any further ado, here we go. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Hi, welcome. Good to hang out again. Got a nice little early morning call for us here. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do and how you teach people how to invest in real estate? Yeah, sure. I'll give you the thumbnail sketch because it's been 30 and one half years. At this point, we have a buying and selling, several buying and selling entities in the New England area with my son and son-in-law. So we're in the trenches doing deals every day. I think it's important. And then at the same time, we go ahead and teach that exact same process, how we buy and sell to who we call associates, their students, all over the country, spread out literally east to west coast. And when I say we teach them how to do deals and we do deals with them, I don't know if I've said it on your show before, but I think there's an enormous gap in the um, education industry and real estate specifically from people taking a course or a seminar and then spending all kinds of money on those and then looking for the next shiny object, but never doing a deal. Mm-hmm. So we're very interactive doing deals with our students. We rev share, we're in the deal with them. And I think it's important. You're hundred percent right about that. There are a lot of programs out there that either don't get people started and the students have a responsibility to take action, of course, themselves. But 
Right. What do you think the main driver of that gap is that takes people from the course to then another course? Yeah, I think a couple of things come to mind, just no priority order. One is there are some phenomenal marketers <laughs> that market product at TV and elsewhere. It's just a fact. And I'll give you an example, and I won't use his name, but I had I did a workshop for a gentleman in our industry who has a big database. He said, can you do a workshop? I said, sure. So I taught what we do. But after the call, I actually had a conversation with him because I was looking to potentially maybe buy his business or other small businesses to, to expand. And he said, Chris, I'm a great marketer. I sell a lot of product. Like it was in the millions. I didn't know that. But I don't coach. And frankly, I don't want to coach and I don't care what they do after I sell them the product. He said, maybe I can refer the coaching to you, which blew my mind that it was that blatant. So I knew it, but it was that blatant. So one is that. Second, I think, is because industry, real estate industry is so, I'll use the word sexy, like attractive, people can mismanage their expectations. And some of that's the marketing. Others is they just think they can get rich quick tomorrow. I scream from the rooftops. I try to preclude people from coming to our community. I want them to apply. I want them to understand this is a journey. And if they're serious and committed, we'll have a great time. But if you're looking for like, I need a deal tomorrow, or I'm going to try the next thing, wrong expectations. I'd just rather not do business with them. So I don't know. Those two things come to mind. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And yeah, I think the sexiness aspect of it is definitely there. And some of the programs out there really hype that up. And there's, of course, the matter of taking action. But before we get too far away from it and you know, bashing the industry, I want to dig into the actual <laughs> uh, strategy that you implement and w- what you teach people how to invest. So let's dig into that. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. So probably for some context, when I got beat up in the 08 crash, I call it the debacle in my book. But when I got beat up in that, I came out of there thinking, first of all, I didn't even think I was going to go back into real estate. I was that beat up. So then it became, okay, what would be sort of the the rules, the protocol? How do we operate if we're going to do this? And it was two things primarily. It was one, let's not have a job because for 18 years prior to the crash, I was in the business, been at it since 91, but I'd get paid one time. And I felt like every January, literally, I remember like it was yesterday, every January I'd go, ah, I got to like do it again. So that to me is a treadmill and a job. So I said, let's create something that gets away from that. And so we trademarked three paydays. It took us a while and we'll talk about that, but we basically get paid three times on a deal and we can stretch it up to 30 years if we want. Secondly, we said, let's never, ever, ever sign personally on debt or borrow money. We just don't do it. We buy everything on owner financing, lease purchase, or subject to existing financing. So with those main criteria in place, that's how we operate now. And and that's how we teach our students to to operate with very few exceptions with no money down. Okay. Okay. So talking about seller financing in an insane market right now, especially in residential real estate. I mean, I invest in commercial, but I also, you know, live in residential. I'm trying to buy a new house right now. And given the struggles that we've had just to buy a new primary residence, I can't imagine how you would successfully negotiate seller financing in, again, this crazy, crazy market. So how do you do it? It's the biggest question right now. Okay. This would be direct advice too, if you were talking offline too, like about your house. I would, and then I'll answer it more broad. If I were you, I would pick the neighborhoods that you want to be in, even right down to the zip code or the neighborhood. And I would then pull a list of free and clear properties and out-of-state owners in that area. And I'd call and or mail them. 
They're great, great, great sellers to deal with when they're free and clear. And guess what they want? They want the top price. Mm-hmm. And usually not only will they wait for their money and take it over time, they want to for estate planning reasons and tax reasons. The very building that I'm usually in, but this is an early morning chat we're having, so I'm not over there. It's five minutes from my house. It was free and clear. Bought it on a financing. A mixed use building. Would have been a nightmare to go through a bank. I, I wouldn't be able to even stomach the stress of going through underwriting. I can't stand it. But we did it on a financing. So they're out there. And they want to do deals and they're most of them off market. And here's a metric for you. In the US, is about 30 to 33% of the properties are free and clear. I was talking to someone in Canada, in case you have any listeners that know someone over there, it's 50 to 55% there. I just found that this week. I was blown away. Wow. So there's a big pool to swim in. Now, there's other lead sources, expired listings, big. And for rent by owners are big because the rental, the landlords, they're spent from COVID. And so those are three databases right there that you could fish in for your own home. But that's also how we do it. Okay. So I have I done that in the past. And a few of the things that struggles that I ran into just for my personal home search, I actually did that. Yeah. Awesome. And a few things that I ran into were price is always a factor. You know, No matter how much we want to say that, you know, a lot of the sellers that I spoke with were maybe $50,000 high because free and clear long distance owners, they didn't realize how bad their properties were. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, I ran into a roadblock talking them down from, you know, their price that was ridiculous to, you know, reality because the place needs, you know, 70 grand of work or something like that. So right. how do you handle that negotiation, especially with somebody who hasn't seen the building for two decades? Well, okay. So two things. First is just a reality check, right? If they want to sell truly, but you're not coming to terms on price, split an appraisal with them. That's fair. I said, look, Mm -hmm. we're just not getting there. Here's what I say to them. I say, I'm on your team. I'm trying to find comparables so that I can purchase this and give you the absolute best price. I'm not getting them. So either you can find them for me or we can split an appraisal. I get skin in the game too. I'll kick in a few hundred bucks. We'll do an appraisal, but you got to agree that that's the number we're going on. Secondly, if we're going to pay that top price, whatever that top price means, we got to get our term. So for example, on the building I bought, I got a 20 year term. I don't care what the market does in that 20 years. I really don't. And then further, if he or she says we need 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand over, over market, fine. Do principal only payments. That's how 99% of our deals are done. Principal only payments. So you're hammering down principal. You're eating up that premium in about, depending on your payment, three, four, five, six months. I try to eat up any premium I gave them in the first six months of principal payments. That's how I do it. They think they got all the money in the world. I got principal pay down. I got recession resistant hedge going on in there. And now some of them won't. So here's kind of a variable strategy. The building owner that I bought the building from, he was very savvy. He was the largest landowner, one of them in this area. He invests. And he wanted on a financing. He dictated his terms, 5.3% interest or whatever he wanted. I said, well, I, Alan, we don't pay interest. What do you mean you don't pay interest? So we pay principal only. So what we ended up doing is we were both happy. It took like 10 minutes negotiating. It was for the first 18 months, I did principal only. Now picture that. In the first 18 months of any loan, it's you get hardly anything. Mm-hmm. I did all principal for 18 months. And then I amortized the balance starting then at 5.2%. He was tickle pink. I was happy. And you'd never get that kind of principal pay down that quickly. You start doing that in the calculator. That's a major, major issue. So just some thoughts for, again, the listeners, but also you on how you can kind of play with that structure. Okay. Okay. So a lot of those properties, again, are going to be occupied by tenants. I mean, not all of them, right? But yep. many will be. And maybe the owner is having trouble with the tenant or doesn't want to go through the eviction or whatever. They kind of want to pass that problem to you. Yep. 
how do you deal with that? Especially now, I mean, we're hopefully on the back end of COVID. Most areas have ended their eviction moratoriums, but that doesn't mean it's easy to, you know, get a property back. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so here's what I tell the students. I did a video on this recently for them. The couple things hit me when I talk about existing tenants. I tell the owner, I would consider inheriting where I use your tenant. Mm -hmm. If I can, A, see the lease and be comfortable with that and make sure I'm getting some principal pay down. B, I want my term to start. Whatever I negotiated with you, Mr. Seller, I want it to start when that tenant is out or I convert them to a buyer, a tenant buyer that can eventually get financing. C, I want to go meet them. I don't want you there. I want to go see the house and I want to meet them. I want to see how they take care of the house. I want to see how they communicate with me. Are they looking me in the eye? Are they like very communicative? And I want to know, obviously, if they're paying. If all those things are in place, I'll take it on at the regular price. If there's a headache in there that I know we're going to have to evict with all this craziness going on, I want to get some back-end premium off. So you got to just get a, a discount, if you will. I got to walk into some equity if I'm taking on your headache. So it'd be rare for me to do that last piece. I love taking on tenants in the first piece. I did one recently. We took it on under a sandwich lease. She was a military person. I really enjoyed talking with her. I trusted that she'll probably buy it if she doesn't get transferred uh, through our rent-to-home program. She got transferred, sadly, but I took that property on with about a $50 loss per month because the principal pay down on the underlying debt in this arrangement was about 800 bucks. And so I got that kind of principal pay down. And then when she left, I converted it to a tenant buyer and that house has six, since been cashed out, but you know, it was a good six figures. So there are some good deals in that. Here's the deal. I think you know this, but I want your listeners to get this because the market keeps changing, right? The biggest question is, well, it's going to crash in the media, all this stuff going on. No, just get really good at doing what you and I are talking about now, like live, get really good at pivoting in every single market. That's how I designed this niche after the OE crash. It's going to keep doing it. The war comes out, another variant of COVID comes out. This is going to keep happening. So why not just get really good at structuring deals and pivoting during the market? That's how to, that's how to win, in my opinion. Absolutely. I think generally speaking, the thing that's happening today, whatever it is, always feels worse and more immediate than the thing that was happening today two years ago, because we know how the two years ago thing resolved and it doesn't feel as bad. But at the time we were freaking out, right? Well said. And we got to keep that same mentality today. And that's, you know, it's tough to do that. Okay. Very well said. So, I'll give you an example. Sorry, Taylor. So in March of 20, what did my whole community do? They started whining about COVID. I said, no, <laughs> double down, double down. And the contracts went through the roof because they listened, most of them. Then March of 21, what'd they do? Oh, the market's hot. I don't, you know, I don't know if I can get let. No, go out and talk to sellers. They maintained. March of 22, what are they saying? Oh, it's going to change. It's going to go down. What if it crashes? So I said, stop listening to the media and go talk to sellers. How many deals do you really need? You don't need the entire nation. You need a handful of sellers at our three paydays range from like 45 grand to 250. Go find a handful of those and you can get them. It's just got to talk to more people. That's all. Focus on the things that you can do. I really yeah. like that. So just to dig into a little bit more my experience with this strategy and you know some some issues that I had that I imagine other others will run into is that really the time because this is not my primary business right you still have real estate syndications I'm working on and right. building the lists making the mailers and then receiving the calls that can take a pretty considerable amount of time so how do you you know outsource some of those tasks or streamline the process so it's not just like another like operating business for people to get yeah. these deals. 
super pointed, especially given the, the passive nature of what we're trying to all do. Okay, so here's what I do. I have some accountability partners in my community that I just said this to on a voice text this morning when I heard their messages. And that was, we all should be spending our time with doing one thing, in my opinion, and everything else should be outsourced. And that is speaking to high level, high quality leads only. So how do we do that without wasting all that other time? We don't do a ton of mailers unless I have a pointed thing like your house, like I got to go get this piece of property. We instead rely on virtual assistants who some have been with me since 2013. So they're very, very well-trained. They've done hundreds of thousands of calls. Once they get that lead, that property seller that says, yeah, either, yeah, have them call me ASAP or yeah, I'm open to hear more. I want to talk to them and I can talk to them very quickly. If I do 10 or 15 of those a week, I can talk to them within the hour if they're long conversations, but usually within 20 minutes. That's not a big per day. That's not a big commitment. Now, that takes time to build. I don't want to water it down. So a virtual assistant and an executive assistant would build a massive business at one to one and a half properties a month. In our world, that's pretty lucrative. Mm, Okay. So probably folks overseas, I know the Philippines are very popular for, I mean, I have a couple of assistants in the Philippines myself, but for phone-based activity in particular, Philippines are pretty popular. We have some there and we have some in the US. The one I told you been since 13 happens to be in the US, but we have both. They got to be trained in our world because a lot of them are trained on, say, either wholesaling or flipping where they're trying to come in low. So there's a little bit different conversation, but it doesn't take long to train them up because they have the basic vernacular. Mm, Okay. Interesting. I hate to feel a little bit of shiny object syndrome, but this house hunt is really (laughs) brutal. I'm considering getting back to it. Now, you mentioned it a couple of times and we haven't really dug into it. I definitely want to dig into the three paydays PM and how that works. Yeah. I'll give you the three paydays and then I'll tell you the biggest misperception in our industry is about only short terms. And so let me kind of dispel that in a second. So the three paydays are payday one is the buyers coming to the table with a down payment because they're a buyer. They just don't have the ability to get a loan yet. That's okay. So we're going to give them the pathway to do that. We're going to give them a mortgage ready plan. Unlike most educators that I hear online teaching the opposite of this, I want them to successfully cash out or a strategy I'll talk about in a second. So payday one is their down payment. Payday two is I'm making an underlying payment to the seller on owner financing or underlying debt if I did that with a lease or a sub two. And then I'm charging my buyer to be in there and X is higher than what I'm paying out is a delta debt. It ranges from 300 to 1,000. I did a, a snapshot till in the last 12 months. I just did a look back and said, okay, how many deals did we do? What are we creating paydays? Just the payday twos was a net of $6,500 on like 22 properties. Well, that's pretty cool. That's for most people, they can live on that. And payday three is the most lucrative because it's the cash out happening at the end and it comprises of the markup and all of that principal pay down, which can be pretty heavy if it's owner financing. So all total, those three paydays go from 45 grand in our community to 250. Our family team's on a low end just because our price range about 75, 78. Now, the piece I want to add to this is people say a lot of times on shows, well, why do you do all these deals and they only go three, four, five years, maybe six? And that's not true. So what happens is when a student gets to like eight, nine deals up in that range, they got a lot going on then. I want to do what I call wealth stacking. And that's taking their portfolio, picking one or two or three and saying, okay, you got your cash flow nailed. You're living fine. You got some profit going on. Let's take one, two or three of these and let's renegotiate the terms. If a seller's due, for example, 20 grand or 30 grand or 40 grand in two or three years, let's use one of the other payday deals offer them a discount and get an extension or offer them a discount and get a sub two deal now that you can own for 30 years. There's all kinds of pivoting you can do once you have the knowledge on how to create these longer term deals. There's always the deal after the deal, if you will. So these literally go from two to 30 years, these deals. 
Hmm. Okay. Wow. So what does a seller say when you call them to restructure yeah. a deal? And, and how do you make that attractive to them as opposed to making them feel like this guy's going to try to you know squeeze a little more out of me? Yeah. And I'll give you a live one. I think it's always good to give you live examples, but mm-hmm. let me give you a generic answer first. And that is, it's weird when people, I couldn't believe the psychology of this, but people think when they, if they have a two or three year out term or four year term, it's almost like they don't, it's not their money yet. And so when I call and say, hey, we might be freeing up some cash, and that's always the case because deals are turning. And if we do, we're calling a bunch of our sellers just to see if you wanted to get your cash early, what that might look like for you. We just throw it on to them as an option that, hey, we're calling you out of six people and thought you might be interested. We let them dictate it. More times than not, they come back with a number that's very attractive to us. And we just go with it. We don't try to nickel and dime it. And then we either buy a sub two or extend the term. Now, other circumstances where they either call us because they have a problem. Like there's a woman that left, went to Florida, got a divorce, called me and said, look, Chris, I know you guys have been great. You've paid my mortgage. I haven't even talked to you, but I'm in need of some cash right now. And so she called us like this. So this stuff happens on both sides. And all we're doing is solving real estate problems. I'll give you one last example. This is cool. So every holiday season, we email all the sellers that have money due. And we do different things to them because they want cash <laughs> during the holidays. So one deal was a four-year owner financing deal. We bought it for 183 grand. If it only went four years, the three paydays was like 108 grand. Very lucrative deal. But we said to them after year two, hey, if we prepay, the number we used was $6,200. If we prepay right now, $6,200 principal towards your balance in two years, will you give us a one-year extension, which lets us get more principal pay down? They said, yeah. The next year they emailed us, hey, will you do that thing again? Because it's cash flow, they retired. <laughs> we did. So now the deal went from four years to five years to six years. Then two years ago, my son-in-law, Zach, who you've met, said, hey, why don't you try seeing if they'll do a little interest because they've never gotten any and extend it 10 or 15 years. We proposed that 4.2% interest. If we extend it 15 more years, their CPA loved it, accepted it right away. So the deal became 21 years. So that was a win-win. That's an example of a win-win. Interesting. Okay. I like the way that you, again, position it as a win-win and then actually structure it as a win-win. Right. So and it never, you know, never a push. And if they don't want it, okay, we'll go to the next one. And there's always someone that wants to do it. <laughs> nice. Okay. So I am curious about the hit rate on sellers or prospective sellers that respond versus those that you end up doing a deal with, because it's never going to be a hundred percent. That's just of course not. the way it is. So what does it typically look like? I'll give you some rough metrics. And this is in a hot market right now. When the market simmers down a bit, it'll be more like 13 or 14 where it was easier. So I'll give you the tougher numbers. The tougher numbers look like this. If a student does a hundred dials, about 30% of those are going to be decent, open leads, open to more information. Not, yeah, come get my house. 10% safe, maybe as high as 30% of those 30 that are left are going to be someone we do a hot lead slash do a deal with. So out of 100 leads, you, you might get two to six deals in there somewhere. Now we're in the future. Pretty predictable. I have the metrics dialed in where if I have a VA calling, I know for a fact, and this is me now, so there's different experience levels, 17 of those lead sheets come over from a VA. I got an appointment. By 25, I got a house on a contract. And by 40, I got a house sold. So basically 40 a month, 40 a week, whatever you want to do to dial that in, you can do a deal. Lead sheets. Hmm, Interesting. Okay. So I want to dig into real quick before we go to the last part of the show. You mentioned in this hot market today, and obviously we've been talking about that. You've been in real estate since 1991, which is a a long time. That's a lot of different real estate markets. And 
All real estate markets feel unprecedented at the time, but right now interest rates are going up. The real estate market is still ridiculously hot and people are putting down cash offers on properties way over asking price. I've been running right. into that myself. So what are your thoughts about the state of the market today, but also you know where we might be within the next uh, couple of years? Yeah, hot topic right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. I made a mistake of saying the market. Let me correct myself for us because I think you'd agree there's pockets all over the country, right? Sure, yeah. And even on in Rhode Island, the tiniest state in the country, to my knowledge, even there, here, we live on an island where I am. It's three towns out of the state. It's a different market than if I go over the bridge, right? So even in Rhode Island, there's sub markets. So I just want to make sure I preface it with that. But generally mm -hmm. speaking, I do think it's sort of a perfect storm, not to use that cliche, but I do think that. And here's why I think that. Because of what you said, interest rates, they are screaming about them going up. So inevitably, that's not a prediction. They're probably going up again. Okay. When that happens, they are going to sideline, in my opinion, hundreds of thousands of buyers who were borderline on the cusp qualifying for a house. They're going to push them aside. Mm -hmm. Those buyers now need what we do. At the same time, then seller demand can't be the same. Eventually, it has to come back down a little bit. It'll happen. I don't know when. Nobody knows when. Are they? We wouldn't be on the show if we knew when. Right? <laughs> you and I, you and I would sure. be on the beach. Yeah. So that's going to happen. It's a matter of when, and then it gets easier. I call less people to get a deal. That's all this means. You can still do deals. You're just going to have less effort to get to the deal. So I think that that's important. And then to the very beginning comment, the beginning of the show, just be good with markets changing constantly, whether it's a war or COVID or it doesn't matter. Get really good at and comfortable at structuring deals in every market. Mm, okay. I appreciate your point, especially about different pockets, because again, that's the same as our experience. There are certain areas where that are perfectly fine areas to live, but hey, you don't want to live there. But the houses are just less competitive than the areas where we do right. want to live. But if you're right. solely looking at it and as an investment, those less hot areas may be great opportunities. For sure. Great. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Chris, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Sure. Are you ready? I am always ready, my man. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I'm going to say, um, and this is a lesson I had to learn people. And here's why I say that. Getting to a million dollars, and I don't want to water it down, but in any business can be done by a lot of muscle. To go over seven figures, to go to multiple, you got to invest in people, period. There's no way to grow it without that. You can't do it yourself. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst yeah. investment you ever made? Before I got into real estate, I was in my father's family company. It was a welding supply business. It wasn't real estate. But I remember getting drawn into a penny stock ad and putting at that time a fortune, which was like $1,800 into a penny stock because a broker convinced me to do that. I think, I don't know how fast it was, but I want to say it was in months that was gone. You know, <laughs> stupid. Well, live and learn, take your lumps right now. It's you've well gone past it. Learning opportunity, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Well, I said it at the beginning about the 08 crash and not signing personally on loans unless it's your own house is the only exception I make. But I will say beyond that, the mentoring aspect of what we do, and the reason I'm saying that is there's twice in my entire 30 and a half year career that I didn't have a mentor, twice. And I just figured this out a couple of years ago. And those are two times I had struggles. One was the crash. So I couldn't go to anyone and go, what do you do here? And I found out in hindsight that people got way worse than me and had good lessons to tell me, but it was too late. 
So no matter what you do, I don't care if you're opening a restaurant or going into real estate, or it doesn't matter. Find someone that has done that, that you can get behind morally, ethically, value, like you really like that person too, not just in business and never sway from that. And you'll have a great experience. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Nice. Nice. I like that. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to track you down, anything like that, where can they find you? Well, I want to give all your listeners a nice gift and then that'll get them in touch with us. And I'll tell you, this, the website's simple, smartrealestatecoach.com. But if they go to Wicked Smart Books, wickedsmartbooks.com, your private link is forward slash wealth strategy. So wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash wealth strategy. Here's what they're going to get. They're going to get the best-selling book, Real Estate in Your Terms, the best-selling book, Deal Structure Over Time, where we rip apart deals, but give you kind of like behind the scenes, the good, the bad, the ugly. And oh, there you go. You got them right in your hand. Sweet. Yep. So they're going to get those. And here's the key. I just cannot stand when I get an offer for a free book. And then they, I'm at the end of the registration screen and they say, put a credit card in for shipping for six or eight bucks. <laughs> sure. We are going to send you the book at our cost, book cost and shipping. You will not pay 10 cents. So when I say free, it's free. And that's for you, all your listeners. Awesome. Well, I love that. I have the books, as you mentioned, I just held them up and really looking forward to reading them. Just received them yesterday. And I'm sure there's a lot of great information in there. I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I can see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.